Today on The Journey with Steve DeWitt, a message about the glory of Christ's birth. Did the shepherds begin to realize who was laying in that manger? And obviously the answer is no. But the little they did understand elicits from them praise and glory to God, which 2,000 years later we're still talking about it. It wasn't in the halls of power, but in a humble manger that God first appeared to the world. Picture this, a quiet stable, radiant divine light, and a cosmic symphony announcing a Savior's arrival amidst straw and animals. Welcome to The Journey with Steve DeWitt, senior pastor and Bible teacher at Bethel Church in Northwest Indiana. Today, Pastor Steve unravels the profound choice of God choosing humility over grandeur. It's the start of a message titled, Glory in the Manger. And you can listen online at thejourney.fm. Here's Pastor Steve. This is the 300th anniversary of the song, Joy to the World. You know, there aren't very many songs that last for three centuries, but Joy to the World is, is one of them. Written by Isaac Watts, you know, you think about all of the terrible things that have happened not, not, I mean, the last 300 years, just take the last 100 years, terrible things that have happened, and yet, all over the world, this month, and especially today, tomorrow, and Tuesday, people will be singing and listening to, joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. We go to the store, it plays over our heads, we turn the radio on in the car, it's playing, maybe in your home, it's playing an amazing uh, run for that song. <clears throat> Here's to another 300 years. Our church has been in a series on the book of Romans, as many of you know. And just last Sunday, we wrapped up our, our, uh, our, our teaching through chapter 11 with a kind of summary statement. Paul gets to the end of chapter 11. He looks back on all that he's written about the doctrine of the gospel, this wonderful deep dive on how God makes sinners righteous. And he gets to the end, and he, he looks back on the, on the majesty of all of it, and he, he says this, For from him and to him and through him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. And the hymn there is God, all things from him, through him, and to him, meaning that God is the creator of all things. He is the sustainer of all things. Indeed, he is the goal and the end game. For all things and all people and all history. So you have this repetition, all, 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 what's not included in all, nothing. And that little verse unveils God's overarching purpose in all that he does. To him be the glory forever. Amen. And today and at our Christmas Eve services, we're continuing that theme of glory or gloria, glory in the manger today. But as we do that, let's make sure we understand what glory is. We use that word a lot, throw it out often. What, what is glory and what does the Bible teach about it? Very quickly, there are two ways the Bible talks about glory. The most prominent is glory as the expression of the infinite worth of God. Like if I said, hey, pick a word that describes how valuable and worthy God is, what would you come up with? Well, the Bible comes up with glory, glory. 
to him be the glory is to say, to God be all the praise, to God be all the acclaim, to God be all of the honor. He alone is worthy of all the glory. Think about how somebody typically um, accepts uh, a, a, an Academy Award. They, they get up and they say, I'd like to thank all of the little people who've allowed me to get here. I'd like to thank my, you know, my producer. I'd like to thank my, the director. I'd like to thank my writers. I'd like to thank my family. You know, and, and they go on. And what are they saying in that? They're, they're basically saying that, yes, I'm getting the glory here, but it's, there's been a lot of people that have contributed to me getting the glory. Versus somebody who gets a posthumous Medal of Honor award at the White House where, you know, the, the president typically pins it on the man's wife. And it's a very somber moment where everybody recognizes that for this soldier, the worth and the value and the glory of his country was worth him giving his entire life. And it creates this sort of weightiness over the sacrifice and the statement that how valuable the country is uh, to the Medal of Honor winner. And God's glory is more like the second it's, it's that overarching weight and worth and value that even God himself uh, places before him as a motive for why he does what he does. For from him, through him, and to him are all things. God's glory as the worth and the weight and the value which is infinite uh, in God. The second way that the Bible talks about God's glory is this glory light the visible expression of the infinite worth of God, the display, the light show, that oftentimes when God's presence shows up uh, is on display. So the way I think this works is much like if, uh, the sun. If we were to say, how valuable is the sun? Well, the sun's very valuable to us. If there was no sun, we all would freeze to death. Uh, you know, no crops would grow. Uh, there would be no photosynthesis. There'd be no oxygen. We all die very quickly if there is no sun. But how does the sun show how valuable it is? Well, it emanates with sun rays. It emanates with these little pieces, these little fragments. They argue whether light is uh, physical or just energy, and I don't know the answer to that, but the point being that it just, it just displays from the sun. And God has a, a kind of glory light that emanates from him. Every description in the Bible of people who have the privilege of seeing God in his glory or in Jesus on earth when he let it out, like the transfiguration, there is this like awe at the light show that is the glory of God. It is described as brilliant, white, dazzling. And for human beings, it is terrifying. None of us, if we knew what it was, would probably naturally say, I want to see the glory of the glory of God. No, we'd be on our faces shaking in fear. Now, we have in the Christmas narrative both examples of the glory of God, both the worth of the glory of God and the glory light of the glory of God. And since this is our theme, glory in the manger, you listen for both of those. We're in Luke chapter 2. There's really only two narratives that we have of the birth of Jesus, Matthew and Luke. John gives a theological explanation, which is actually our text for Christmas Eve, and uh, Mark just ignores it entirely. So 
our, our choices are limited. Luke is one of them. Luke chapter 2. Here is what Luke writes. I'm beginning in verse 1. These are very familiar words if you've been a Christian very long. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. Now our focus today is on the angels, the shepherd, and Jesus in the manger, but this sets the stage, and actually there is something about glory even in this uh, backstory, because we see in this the difference between the glory of God and the glory of man. Why did Caesar decide that he wanted all of these people to go to their original hometown? Well, he wanted to count them, and he wanted to tax them. Government still does that, have you noticed? Uh, and so Caesar here is in an attempt to uh, expand his own glory, to expand his own kingdom. And what we note in this, and this is one of the great ironies in Jesus' birth, is that it is Caesar's census and self-worship which creates the context for a Bethlehem birth and a prophetic fulfillment and Jesus' identity as born in a manger. If he had been born in Nazareth, they would not have laid him in a manger. He wouldn't fulfill Micah's prophecy of being born in Bethlehem, the city of David. And we just see in this, and, and I hope that you can see in this, how God uses government and politicians and political theater to fulfill his purposes. Can he do that? He certainly did it here, which I think is a good thing to keep in mind given the political drama of the days that we live in. All for him includes flawed government as well. So now we get into the glory. Verse 8, glory in the night. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them. Are you listening? And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And now we're into the famous part of this story, right? We have these famous but anonymous angels and famous but anonymous shepherds. We're not told if this angel that appeared, one first appeared in the sky, is whether that was Gabriel. It might have been. Gabriel's already prominent in Luke. He doesn't give his name. We don't know. And then we have the famous shepherds. Again, we don't know their names. These are the watchers of sheep outside of Bethlehem, which happens to be the hometown of the most famous shepherd who's ever lived, David. Bethlehem forever connected with David and the generational son of David, Jesus. 
Now, our focus today is on uh, the, the, the glory that we see in this story, not profiling these characters. So let's keep going here. So here's the story. It's nighttime. The shepherds are there. They're doing what shepherds do at night. You know what shepherds back then, I've done careful research. You know what shepherds did at, at, in the evenings when it got dark? After a long day of watching sheep, you know what they did? They snoozed and they slept. Doesn't take careful research to know that, does it? But that's what they did. They snoozed and they slept. And so you have some snoozing and sleeping shepherds who are just, you know, this is another night in their life, when all of a sudden the supernatural explodes in the night sky and an angel appears. Now note something with me. It says, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. Who's the them? You might think, as I have often thought, and actually this is a little bit of a discovery for me this week in my mind as I've read this, I've always thought, you know, the, the angel appeared in the sky filled with the glory of God. But that's actually not what it says. The glory of the Lord, it doesn't say it's shown around the angel. Who did it shine around? The shepherds. You ever been laying in bed and somebody comes to wake you up and they flip the lights on? You're like, who? You know. I actually, I thought about doing something like that just to give you a sense of it, but uh, I, I chose not to, lest some of the elderly, uh, I don't know what would happen to them, but <laughs> we love them so much, we don't want to unsettle them. But, so we're not going to do that. But you can imagine with me a dark sky, and this is not in the day, by the way, where in Bethlehem you had all of these you know, street lights and uh, you know, the, the, the Best Buy sign, you know, and, and the, you know, you didn't, it was just dark. You ever been like camping out where, and these people camped every day of their life. They never saw light at night. So this is even more shocking to them when all of a sudden in the night sky, they are enveloped with the light of the glory of God. Shocking to say the least. In fact, the text accurately describes it. They were terrified. I grew up in the King James. I can't help but noting it says they were sore afraid. Just like we all would be sore afraid if suddenly the glory of God surrounded us. And even more shocking than the glory light is the glorious news. Here's what the angel says. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. What a glorious message God delivered to mankind. And we see here the first missionary of the gospel is an angel, and his very first congregation is a group of sheep and shepherds. Now we're not told what the sheep thought about the message, but we do know what the shepherds thought about the message. They say to themselves, what has happened here? And what should we do? They're amazed at this message. And note now, the, the angels aren't done. It says, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, and here's this word again, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. So now we move from glory light to glory in this song, a song of adoration. Note that it doesn't tell us how many angels there were. The Greek word is actually, it's the root of the word plethora, 
that we get in the English. Plethora, a large multitude. The NIV translates it a great company. So imagine with me, if one angel is shocking enough, the glory of God surrounding you on a night like this, imagine a sky filled with angels that not only added to the sound and the light display, but they actually now are also praising God, okay? They praised God. How did they do it? Now, we assume that they sang it. But actually, the Greek word doesn't mean, it, it can mean sing. It can mean speak or perhaps chant. Dare I say it? Rap? I mean, we don't know exactly the melodic form that their message came out in, but we do know the message, glory to God in the highest. Now, are they saying more light to God in the highest? No, it's not that use of glory. It's, it's the worth of God. May, may God be praised. May God be seen as infinitely worthy for what he has done, this amazing baby that has been born. Now notice that they are praising God in the highest, and that is referencing the loftiest place, the highest place of honor. Now, what's the issue here? Glory to God in the highest place. Who are they actually praising with this? Should we not clarify it to say, glory to God the Father in the highest place? And why do I say that? Because when they're saying, sharing this message, it is only God the Father who is in the highest place. God the Son is in the lowest place. In fact, if they were wanting to praise the second person of the Trinity, they would say, glory to God in the lowest place. Now, we'll get to that in a moment. But no, they're saying glory to God in the highest place. Glory to God the Father in the marvel of what he has done. So the angels praise God the Father in the highest. Who is charged with praising God in the lowest? It's not the angels. It is these shepherds, okay? The people who, socially speaking, share Jesus' present social status. They are low, these shepherds. Let's talk about the shepherds a moment. You've heard this, you know, all this talk about the shepherds and we sort of envision them as being highly noble people of great distinction because of, you know, uh, who they were. Actually, in society at that time, the, the shepherds were considered like lowlifes. They were, they were uh, uh, famous for the, the five-finger discount, if you know what that means. These are the kind of people, if you invited them to your house, you hide the silverware and count it carefully after dishes are put in the sink. Because they just had that reputation of seeing, you know, whatever is, is uh, thine is mine. And uh, because of that, and because they worked on Sabbath, they also couldn't go to the, the temple, which also in that society made them very suspect. The net result of all of this is that these shepherds, like all the other shepherds, were at the bottom rung of society, you know, if God was trying to create an impressive guest list to the party for his son, he never would invite the shepherds. Who would he invite? Well, you know, you would 
in that society, you would, you would want a priest to be there, you know. You'd want a Levite to be there. And of course, you would want a senior pastor to be there. It's not a party if the senior pastor isn't invited. Okay. Again, you don't invite... You don't invite shepherds. You don't invite the people that when they walk in, everyone's like, oh, got to go. Got to put the kids down. That was the shepherds. People didn't want to hang around with them. So why did God invite shepherds to the party? We don't actually know. Perhaps as a tip of the hat to David, the shepherd. You know, we, Jesus fulfills Psalm 23. He is the good shepherd and so shepherds, in a way, are invited to meet the shepherd, possibly some you know, tie-in there. But most likely, this is the reason. Let's just say that rather than inviting the shepherds to the party, uh, God had decided to invite the rich and the famous to the party, maybe uh, some of the royalty to the party, maybe some of the movers and shakers uh, to the party. Wouldn't normal people like us wonder if Jesus came for common folk? Couldn't we wonder if actually Jesus came for sinners? If it was the high, the mighty, and the righteous that were invited to the birth party? So inviting the people at the bottom of the ladder assures us, no matter where we are on the ladder, that Jesus came for us too. And what better people to invite to communicate for generations who Jesus really came for than to invite the shepherds. So after the shepherds have this incredible moment, they hear the incredible message, they see the incredible light, they have a little holy huddle, and they say, what are we going to do now? And they say, well, of course, we're going to go to Bethlehem. Let's go check out this thing that the angels told us. How did the shepherds find Jesus? Well, they did what we do a lot when you go into a town, you don't know anybody, you ask around. And so they went into rushing into Bethlehem and they're like, hey, has anybody seen a pregnant woman around here? And they're like, you know, there's lots of pregnant women around here. Okay, anybody see a pregnant woman somewhere around like a stable where there might be a manger? And right now they're saying, what? You know, yeah, there's a baby somewhere in Bethlehem lying in a manger. And they're like, you shepherds are crazy. But that was the sign, wasn't it? You shall find him wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And why is that a great sign that this actually is the one, this is the baby? Because nobody put babies in, in mangers. And we don't to this day put babies in feeding troughs. So if you find a baby in a feeding trough, ah, that's the one. That is the sign. Not the star, but the baby in the manger. You're listening to The Journey with Steve DeWitt and the start of a message titled, Glory in the Manger. If you'd like to replay it or share it with a friend, visit us online at thejourney.fm. There is where you can also find our complete message archive, send us an email, access relevant studies, or connect with our online community. Again, that's thejourney.fm. Well, here on The Journey, our mission is to guide you in your faith journey towards the unchanging truth found in God's Word. That's why each day on the radio and web, we take our listeners into the depths of Scripture while making the truth easy to understand and applicable to daily life. But as a listener-supported program, we couldn't do it without you. The journey relies in part on the financial gifts of generous friends like you, which allow us to share the truth of the gospel to listeners all around the country. So would you join hands with us in our mission today? You can call 844-7-JOURNEY. 
That's 844-756-8763. Or give online at thejourney.fm. And to express our gratitude for your gift today, we'll say thanks by sending you a book by best-selling author Max Lucado. It's titled In the Manger. Advent is a season of anticipation and a celebration of the moment when God came near. And within the pages of this book, Lucado presents 25 inspirational selections for Advent. Brimming with eloquent writing and captivating imagery, these passages will guide you in centering your heart on Christ, not just during this holiday season, but throughout the entire year. Rediscover a sense of wonder and awe in the presence of our King. When you request your copy of In the Manger, call 844-7-JOURNEY. That's 844-756-8763. Or visit thejourney.fm. Well, that's all our time for today. I'm Tim Svoboda. Join us tomorrow when Pastor Steve continues the message called Glory in the Manger. That's Friday on The Journey. Today's program was produced and furnished by Bethel Church in Crown Point, Indiana.